Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to know when lives are impacted. And if that is you, please shoot us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Well, I want you, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way to two places. You can turn to Luke chapter 4. And then if you want to work ahead, you can hold your place there and make your way to 2 Kings chapter 5. And if you are new here, if it is your first time, I want to let you know that we like to study the Bible together. We, we believe that the Bible is active, it's alive, it's God's word to us. When we open it up, he speaks to us. And so when we gather on a Sunday, we don't just come to worship God, but we come to let God speak to speak to our situation, to speak to our lives, to show us where we need to change, not just show us where we need to change, but give us the power to change. And so as we get into this, uh, I'm so excited that we get a chance to do this because, you know, at our church, uh, we love to do things together. That's why I offer summer groups. We can engage in God's word, not just on Sunday, but during the week. That's why we have teams that you can be a part of and get invested in and make a difference in the lives of others. And If you're looking for a way to make this house a home, the absolute best place to start is with Growth Track. Growth Track is where you're going to discover the unique ways that God has gifted you and learn to leverage those gifts to make a difference in your life. So I want to preach this message to you today. And uh, what I'm going to share with you, these are just some things that God has been using to help me. And that's one thing I like about the summers because I, I always try and budget in like just some Sundays where I can just share with you things that I'm learning, things that God is using to help me, just some, some fresh content. And it doesn't always fit in with the series, nice and neat. And that's why I'm happy to just, over the summer, you can count on, you're going to get some fresh sermons every single week. And what I have for you today is so fresh, it might still be warm and gooey at the center. Uh, but in Luke 4, verse 27, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And this is really... This is the first time we see Jesus teaching in the synagogue. At this point in his ministry, it's kind of like the inauguration of his ministry. He's been baptized by John. He's been tested in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. And he comes back into town and news of him has been spreading throughout town and throughout the region. And he's invited uh, to the synagogue to give this little sermon. And he reads from Isaiah 61. And he just kind of like lays it out, like lays it down. And everybody who's listening to him, they're so amazed that they've never heard anybody speak like this before. They're amazed at not only what he said, but how he said it. And then Jesus does something, as Jesus often does, that's, that's really, it's kind of strange. He, he says, look, I know you're, you're amazed by this. I know you've never heard anything like this before, but I, I got to tell you something. Like, you're not going to be able to receive from my ministry. And the reason you're not going to be able to see from my ministry is because you're not going to honor me. See, they had, Jesus speaking in his hometown, they'd grown up with him. They'd watched him grow up. and That's why honor is so important, by the way. Because you can't receive from somebody that you don't honor. And so he says, look, you're not going to be able to receive from my ministry because you're not going to honor me. And then he gives this example of the kind of people that will be able to receive from his ministry. And that's what I want to pick up in Luke 4, verse 27. He says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So he says, the, the people are going to receive, like, he uses this foreign 
military general. And then it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and they drove him out of town. Now, let me tell you, I've had some people get up and walk out of my sermon before, but this is a whole nother level when you start preaching and people want to drive you out of town. It says they got up, they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And I love Jesus. Like, like, this is just the coolest move. Like, he didn't fight back. He didn't protest. He didn't try to defend it. He just walked right through the crowd. Just slipped out right underneath their noses. And I don't know how he did it. But I want to use this text as kind of our foundation, our, our launching point today. And I want to preach to you from this subject, Under Armour. I want to talk to you about Under Armour today. And that's going to make more sense as we go on. But before we get into it, let's just pray. Let's ask for God's help this morning and believe that God is going to speak to you. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. God, I'm so thankful that whenever we open up your word, you speak. And I'm believing and I'm asking you to do that today, Father. I believe that you have a word specifically for each person here, something, Father, that you want to share. And God, I ask that you would use me, that you would help me now in the moments we have remaining uh, that we would hear from you, that I would be used by you, that I would speak exactly what you want me to speak and, and nothing else wouldn't be my opinions, my ideas, but it would be your word that goes forth. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, how many of you, I'm curious, how many of you would consider yourself a control freak? Anybody bold enough to raise their hand? See, some of you are like sitting there across with your arms crossed and be like, nobody's going to make me raise my hand. You can't control me. And that's just hurtful. But um, let me, how many of you would be honest now, you'd consider yourself a control freak? I see, I see some of you trying to raise the hand of the person sitting next to you. Like, that's not right either. You're like, I'm just, it's funny to me when we talk about control, because I think like all of us, to a certain degree, we have some areas in our life where we're controlling it. And then there's others area of our life where maybe they're out of control or we're not as controlling as we should be. Would you agree with that? Like, like I don't know what it would be. For you, uh, maybe like for you, your, your home is pretty controlled, but maybe you feel out of control at, at work. Or, or, or maybe, you know, you feel like you're killing it at work, but your closet's completely disorganized. Or, or maybe you're, you're disciplined with your body, but you're undisciplined with your spending. Or, or, or maybe it's, you're out of control with how you're spending. I don't know what it is for you, but we all have these areas where like we're controlling in one area, but then we're kind of out of control in another area. And I'm no different from you, I have that same thing in my life. Like one of the areas where I tend to not be as controlled as I should be uh, is in the home. Much to Marissa's frustration, uh, I, I leave little piles of things uh, around the house, little, you know, little monuments, little pillars to help her think about me uh, while I'm at work. And if she thinks I'm being lazy, I call it being artistic. But uh, the, the truth is, you know, like I have just certain piles and places of, of where things should go. It's just kind of out of control, not as controlled as I should be in that area. But on the other hand, there is an area uh, where I am very controlling, and that's called the remote control. And can I get an amen from anybody? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, uh, you know, so, some, sometimes, you know, it's not that, like, we watch a lot of TV, but maybe it's just the fact that, you know, the kids are in bed, she turns on the TV, and, and I don't know, like, I walk in the room, and after, you know, five minutes, or so, I just start to break into a sweat if I can't get that control in my hand because I'm like, babe, I, I don't know, but I mean, I'm not sure that these are real housewives. I'm just got to tell you the truth. And, 
And, you know, it's not even like I'm going to watch anything. I mean, every man knows, like, the art of watching television is just simply not to watch any commercials. That's the plan. That's why you can watch four different things at a time. And so she's watching a show, and, you know, maybe it's, you know, HGTV or whatever it is that she has on. And so, man, i got to get this remote control in my hand because there might be something violent that's going to be edifying to my soul that I need to watch. And maybe you don't like it. Okay, I might be missing something good on Christian television. Just kidding, there's nothing good on Christian television. But I'm just saying, like, there's areas in our life where sometimes we're, we're kind of in control and yet kind of out of control. And I bring this up because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to some people. He's speaking to some control freaks who get out of control. He, he's speaking to them, who these people who for many centuries, they've controlled the religious establishment. And he begins talking to them about what he's going to do and how it's going to happen. And he just kind of lays it out. And it's so countercultural to what they're expecting. It's so countercultural to what they're used to that they just, they lose it. And they want to drive him out of town and they want to throw him over the cliff. And this whole in, interaction, I mean, it just caught my attention because it's so bizarre. I mean, this is Jesus' debut sermon. And it's not just the fact that he says something that's strange. It's not just the fact that their reaction is so strange. Well, what's interesting to me is really the example that he uses when he talks about the kind of faith that he's looking for. That's what caught my attention because I don't know if you know anything about Naaman, but Naaman is a strange guy to bring up as an example of faith. I mean, there's just so many other guys that he could have brought up. He could have talked about Abraham. I mean, everybody loves Abraham. A Abraham is a hometown hero. If we would have talked about Abraham, people would have loved that. He, he could have talked about David. I, I mean, David's famous, greatest king who ever lived. I don't know why he didn't talk about David. I mean, he could have talked about Moses. Everybody loves Moses. If he would have talked about Moses, that would have gone over well. But instead, he, he passes over all these likely heroes. And he goes and he talks about... This Syrian general, this, this foreign general who had raided their very own nation many times over. That's the guy he uses as an example of the kind of faith he's looking for. I just thought it was strange. And so I want us to look at Naaman together because I think there's more beneath the surface to his story. And I don't know if you've heard a lot of sermons on Naaman before. Maybe uh, you know the story well. Maybe you've never even heard of Naaman. But... I want to take a look at it together, and I believe that God's going to speak to you through it. His story is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I want to encourage you to have your pen ready or your phone, whatever it is that you use to take notes and write down. Because it's not that I'm going to give you a lot of points today, but I believe that God is going to speak to you through this message. Besides that, everybody knows the more notes you have, the bigger your mansion in heaven. So just for whatever that's worth, I would take some notes. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, this is what it says. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. I want to talk about this verse for just a moment because what I see in this verse is it presents to us a contradiction that I know we can all relate to. Uh, all of us can relate to this struggle when what we experience contradicts what we expect. 
when our situation doesn't line up with our expectation. Have you ever been there before? Have you been in a place where your situation, it doesn't match your expectation? Or or to put it another way, has your condition ever been in conflict with your calling? See, Naaman, he represents to us a man who had a great gift. He had a great ability, but he had leprosy. And in so many ways, I mean, this guy, he has a lot going for him. I mean, he was valiant. He was respected. He was a leader. He was honored. This guy was a hero in his nation. He, he had this thing he could do. Like he could just go out and do it. Like he could go out and conquer. He could go out and win. He could slay all day, literally. That's what he did. He could just go out and do it. This, this gift. But he had leprosy. I want to tell you something about everybody in this room. Really two things about everybody in here. The people sitting next to you, the people sitting around you. I don't care how impressive you think they are. But I will tell you something about everybody in this room. Everybody in this room has a butt. And everybody in this room has learned how to cover it. Everybody's got a butt. And I think that's our problem when we come to church. Is we've gotten really good at C-Y-B. Cover your butt. Tell somebody cover your butt. I need to know that you're with me. You guys are a little too quiet this morning. I want to have some fun in church. I don't know about you. I think that's our biggest problem. And I'm picking this up from the text because it says, but he had leprosy. B-U-T, but he had leprosy. Because, see, I thought maybe in the sermon I would tell you all about leprosy. I could tell you all about the condition, all about how it affects your skin, and I could relate all these symptoms to the situations that you're facing in life, except that's not the word that I felt I needed to focus on. Uh, The word that I felt I needed to focus on, the word that people can relate to, is but. Because we all have an exception in our life. We all have this this thing that contradicts who we are and who we think we should be and how we think our life should look. And if you're a Christ follower, we'd say this way, we have this condition that contradicts who we believe God has called us to be. It it doesn't line up. We know God's called us to live one way, but but we've got this this but, this this thing, this exception, this thing that we don't want anybody to know about. And we try and keep it covered. I wonder, I wonder how many of us are like Naaman. We've gotten very effective at covering the thing that eats away at us inwardly while we do the thing that brings us respect outwardly. I wonder, how do you cover your butt? The answer's not under armor, Danny. I know you're going to say that. How, how, how do you cover it? That's a different sermon. It's not where I'm going with this. How, how do you cover your butt? Because, see, for Naaman, it wasn't difficult. As long as he was fighting the battles and winning, man, it was easy to keep things covered up underneath, to keep things covered up under his armor. You know, as long as he was fighting and winning, he was able to just keep things on the surface level. Everything looks fine. And I don't know how long he had this leprosy. I mean, obviously, it had to be in the early stages of it because... He's still able to go out and do what he did. I mean, leprosy in this day, 
it would have been a certain death sentence, no doubt about it. In many cases, the person would wind up in isolation. Best case scenario, they're, they're relegated to a colony with other lepers. But we don't see that with, with Naaman. He's still going out. He's still leading people. He's still honored. And he's doing his thing. So I imagine, like, it must have started small. Like one day, he just kind of notices the, the spot. He's like, man, I know what that is. It's not going to tell anybody. Can't let anybody say. I mean, because if people find out about this condition, they're not going to view him the same way. He's going to lose his position. I mean, what are people going to think? This great leader, this guy who's so honored, this guy who's so looked up, is a leper. So he just puts on his armor and goes out and does his thing. And see, as long as you can cover your condition with your competency, you don't have to deal with it right away. Because see, when you've got something great inside of you, we call that a gift. We call it a gift because we believe that God gave it to you. And that gift you wear on the outside can actually be one of the greatest barriers to the work that God wants to do on the inside. Because you can employ your abilities to conceal your deficiencies. You can let people gaze at your gift all day long and you never have to deal with your dysfunction. You're succeeding, but miserable. Achieving, but angry. Nice to the people that you got to impress, but you take out your frustration with everybody at home. I'm just talking about a few butts today. One thing on the outside, but completely different underneath the surface. And I don't know, maybe it's because we have kids camp coming up and I know they're going to be talking about the armor of God and the things that we can put on to go out and do what God has called us to do. Maybe that's what inspired this, but I just felt like we needed to talk about under armor a little bit today. The, the stuff underneath our gift, the stuff underneath the surface, uh, underneath what we're supposed to, because we don't get it right beneath the surface. If we don't get the, the, the under part right, I mean, we can impress people for a little while, but we won't be around long enough for it to last. So I don't, I don't know the details of how what happened next happened. The Bible doesn't tell us, but this is what it says in verse 2. Now, a band of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria... Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, hold on just a minute. I mean, how did this servant girl know? Because obviously nobody else knows. He's still doing his thing. Well, she was in the house with him. She, she saw him when he took his armor off. She saw him when he was stripped of what everybody else noticed. And see, here's the thing. We need to understand that we might be able to hide things from other people for a while. But you can't hide stuff at home. Because eventually the armor has to come off. And so we don't know how she knew about this, but, but she knew. And it really amazes me, the faith of this servant girl. Because, I mean, imagine this. We don't even have any inclination to, to know that Elisha had even healed a leper before. In fact, if we look at Luke 4, it says that Naaman was the only leper that Elisha ever healed. Like, what gave her the faith? Like, just imagine the nerve of this servant girl to speak to her master, because Naaman's the man. Naaman is the hero. 
Naaman is respected. Naaman's honored. But on the tip of this one girl, Naaman says, okay. He approaches his king to see if he can go meet this prophet. His king gave him permission. And through a, a series of events, he goes and meets the prophet Elisha. I want to skip to verse 9. It says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, a man like Naaman, who had commanded such respect, I mean, surely when he goes to see the prophet Elisha, like, Elisha's going to roll out the red carpet for him. I mean, just, if nothing else, out of sheer intimidation, because, like, Naaman is this guy who for years has come in and raided your country. Like, when he shows up in your town, when he's coming to your house, like, you're going to do everything to stay on his good side. So I'm sure, like, at the very least, like, you know, Elisha's got the hospitality team ready. He's got the table set. He's going to, you know, meet him at the door. But look what Elisha does. So Elisha sent a messenger. This, hold up. What? He sent a messenger? He, he sent an intern. He, he, he sent a servant. Doesn't even have enough value for him to greet him at the door. And I could preach a whole sermon on this verse right here. Because so many times we miss the message because we don't like the messenger. So many times, I mean, really, two video sermons back to back? When is Pastor Justin going to preach again? So, so many times we miss the fact that God wants to speak to us through a different way than we had planned. But this is what it says. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And your flesh will be restored. And you will be cleansed. So I want to ask you, is this an easy thing to do or a hard thing to do? Let's show of hands. How many think it's an easy thing to do? Easy thing to do? All right. How many think it's a hard thing to do? Hard thing to do? All right. Maybe we should talk about it then, right? Because we kind of got a few different mixed messages here. I mean, on the surface, this is a pretty easy thing to do. I mean, he's definitely capable of doing it. It's not something that's outside of his ability. It's not something that, that's outside of what's possible. On the surface, it's a simple instruction. But on a deeper level, well, there's almost nothing more important to a man than to be respected. <laughs> In fact, some of the dumbest decisions you and I will ever make is when we're asked to do something that we feel is beneath us. You want me to do what? You know who you're talking to, right? Like, like I'm the guy that comes and raids your village and you're giving me some orders? You know who you're talking to, right? Like, I mean, I run a company, $2 million. You want me to like serve as a greeter? What? I mean, you want me to do what? We make dumb decisions a lot of times when we feel like something is beneath us. And that's Naaman's problem. Because nowhere else in Scripture is there anything to indicate that he doubted that this was even going to work. Look at what it says in verse 11, though. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me. I thought that he would surely he presumed. And many times our presumptions 
can prevent us from perceiving the potential that's in front of us. See, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've found that God's plans, they usually don't look like my plans. And you can see this in Scripture, because like sometimes Jesus would ask people, what do you want me to do for you? But I've never seen it in Scripture where he says, how do you want me to do it? And here's the thing I want you to get. It's because many times we miss what God wants to do because we want him to do it a certain way. Let me put it to you this way. If you don't write anything else down, I want you to write this down. Is don't let your pride keep you from God's promise. Don't let your pride keep you from God's promise. If you don't remember anything else, hopefully you remember that every time you see Under Armour. Because isn't that what happened? I mean, Naaman, he had faith to come, but let's be honest. I mean, he was in a desperate situation. It's not like he had a lot of other options. And so somewhere along the way, he built up in his head how this was going to happen and how this was going to play out. And he gets there and the man of God doesn't even come out to greet him. Doesn't even come out to say hello. And so he gets offended. He gets angry. See, he didn't come to get healed. He came to get healed his way. I wonder if that's what you and I do. We, we come to church, but we want God to meet us on our terms. God, I, I want your help. I want your blessing. I, I want your movement in my life, but hold up. You want, you want me to do what? You, you want me to trust you with my first and my best of the first 10%? I mean, look, like pastor's preaching is good, but it's not that good, God. You, you want me to do what? You, you want me to like get in a group and like give up some of my time? Like, God, I want to grow. I want to know you better, but look, man, I'm busy during the week. You want, you want me to like be part of a team and help others? God, can't you see like I'm the one who needs help? Okay, so you want God to help build your house, but you don't want to help build his house. Look, I'm just saying, so many times we want God to move in our life, but we want God to meet us on our terms. We want God to work the way we want him to work, our way. And I just want to tell you, God has a different plan. It's not always going to go like you thought it was going to go. Because God wants us to have faith. And you can be missing the fact that God's actually working in your life. Because you're still talking about how you want him to do it. And see, if you understand this, this is encouraging. Because what it means is that your miracle might be in progress already. What it means is just because it doesn't look like how you think it should look doesn't mean that it's not fulfilling God's purpose. Just because it doesn't fit the description of your plans doesn't mean that God's not moving. He says, I thought he would surely. I thought my salary would be bigger by now. I, I thought they'd want my opinion by now. And I, I, I thought that I'd be married by now. And I thought things would be different, but I thought God would surely do so. See, Naaman, he had it so telegraphed. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand 
and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. See, I, I get it now. Naaman didn't want a miracle. He wanted a magic trick. He, 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 he wanted it. He had it all planned out how it was supposed to go. But don't let your plans make you miss God's purpose. Don't let how you thought it would happen make you miss the fact that it is happening. Because, see, God does the impossible. But when he does the impossible, he calls us to do the impractical. He calls us to do things that aren't always convenient. He calls us to do things that don't always make sense. And I wonder if it's the fact that you're so focused on God's strategy. Strategy. I can talk. Judging God's strategy. That you're missing the fact that you're not obedient to this instruction that he's already given you. God is in the way I pictured. Okay, great. Are you going to let that stop you? Let's keep reading what he says. He says, are not Abana and Farpar, which by the way, great. If you have twins, I would totally go for that as names. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I mean, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and he went in a rage. See, he lived in a place where the rivers were always pure. What you might not realize is Jordan River, it's like a sewer. It's dirty. It's muddy. And he's saying, like, okay, if I'm supposed to go in the water, like, why not at least go in some waters where I can take a bath? I mean, if I'm going to go in here, I mean, who knows what infectious disease I'm going to come I may end up worse than how I came. But thank God for messengers and thank God for interruptions. Because his servants come up to him, and this is what they say. It's said, Naaman, look, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? See, we spend so much time telling ourselves, if we had a better opportunity, we'd do more. You know, if, if they gave me more freedom, if I had a better position, well, then, then, then I could really do something. But I'm not so sure that's the way it works. I mean, if you can't be faithful with what God has given you right now, why would God ever give you more? And so they say, hey, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. It's interesting to me how he says, how it says he went down. I think that's the key. He went down. He humbled himself. That's, that's always the key for God to show up in your life. You got to humble yourself. I mean, again, Naaman is the man. Naaman is the guy. He's used to giving orders, not following orders. He's used to being looked up to. He's used to being held in high regard. And now he gets this instruction where he has to humble himself. Where he doesn't understand it. Doesn't see why it will make any difference. But he decides to do it anyway. Maybe that's just what I would tell you. Just do it anyway. That instruction that God's given you that that doesn't make any sense. Just do it anyway. 
See, simple obedience works when you don't have to understand the reason to follow the instruction. So that's what Naaman does. He, he gets naked, strips down to his underarmor, and he goes in the muddy water, obeys the man of God's instruction. This is what it says. So he went down, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He got his healing. Now, that's a good story, but that's not really the, that's not really the story. The, the real part of the story is what happens in the next verse. Because in the next verse, after it got done, he's so thankful that this is what he says. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. See, that's what he came for. That's not what brought him here, but that's what he came for, that he would know God. And here's what I want to help you with, that maybe what brought you here isn't really what you came for. Look, we we come to church for all sorts of different reasons. I think a lot of them are good reasons. Nothing wrong with that. But don't get confused that what brought you here is the same reason of why you're here. See, God wants to move in your life. He does want, you know, we we come because maybe we came at the invitation of a friend. Maybe that's what brought us here. Maybe what brought us here is is we needed some encouragement. Maybe what brought us here is we needed some, some help or some hope. All sorts of things that brought us here. But I think before God would say, yeah, we can do that. Maybe once can we do this? In other words, not can you succeed, but can you surrender? Can you surrender? That's ultimately what this story is about. This guy who's used to giving orders, this guy who's used to being the man, this guy who is a valiant soldier, this guy who is used to being the hero. And see, here's the problem. The gospel only has room for one hero, and it's not you. And I wonder if that's why we've been covering our butt all this time. It's because we've taken up residence in the hero spot of our own story. And if people see this part of my life, if people know this thing that I've been hiding, if people realize this contradiction, they're not gonna look up to me. Really what God would say to you today, say, let me be the hero. That's why I sent my son, Jesus. I know you couldn't do it on your, you can't do it on your own. I I, I want you to let him take that thing and you take his yoke upon you. Means your job is to follow him. But that sin, that shame, that issue, the thing that, that you've been covering, that's not yours to carry.